Welcome to the Garden Path Podcast, life lessons and conversations from the garden. Hi, I'm your host, Misty Little, and this is Season 4, Episode 3. Last spring, I was able to preview a new field guide from Timber Press titled Wildflowers of Texas. In my job, and for personal use, I'm always referring to field guides of all genres. Even if I don't retain every ounce of information when I'm flipping through them, I'll often remember seeing something in the book and notice it while I'm out hiking or doing field work, and that helps me to remember to look it up later. Texas? If you know, it's a huge state, it's the second largest in the United States, and much of the floristic guidebooks are divided into regions, which can kind of be frustrating if you happen to travel around the state quite frequently or live on the edge of eco-zones. So needless to say, when I previewed Michael Eason's Wildflowers of Texas, I was immediately smitten. Covering the entire state from the High Plains and the Panhandle to the Texas Gulf Coast, and from the Big Thicket to the Guadalupe Mountains, this book is a must-have for naturalists and gardeners in Texas. And if you're not in Texas, well, you might still want to have it for your collection. It's pretty good. My conversation with Michael, a botanist with a background working for the Lady Bird Wildflower Center in Austin, and with project experience on several seed bank projects, was highly fascinating as we span talking about how the book was put together, how he found interesting and rare flora finds while writing the book, as well as tidbits from the projects he's previously worked on and is currently working on. If you aren't in Texas, I think you will still find this episode fascinating, and hopefully it will tempt you to find a guidebook for your region to get out and to explore. If you enjoyed this episode, it would be wonderful if you took a few minutes to leave a rating and review on Stitcher or iTunes. I would definitely appreciate it. You can find the podcast on Instagram at The Garden Path Podcast, the podcast website, thegardenpathpodcast.com, or drop me an email at thegardenpathpodcast at gmail.com. Okay, enjoy the episode. So I guess if you want to start, maybe you can introduce yourself, um, who you are, your background in botany, and then um, how you came to write the book. Uh, well, I am Michael Eason, and background in botany, uh, a degree from Texas State. I think at the time I was there, it was Southwest Texas State in San Marcos. Yes. And um, kind of stayed in the botanical realm sort of mostly on my own. And then in 2003, started working for the Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center and was there for about 10 years. Uh, part of that was basically just, uh, well, the, managing the Millennium Seed Bank Project, which which kept me on the road quite a bit. And then from that point, um, towards the end of the project, I moved out here to West Texas and in Alpine. And then in 2013, I believe, they uh, were wanting me to move back to Austin, and I decided just to stay out here. And then in 2014, I guess, uh, that was when um, some, I got put in touch with Timber Press. They were looking for someone to do a book on the wildflowers of Texas, and I thought, yeah, I'll give it a shot. We'll see how difficult this can be. And the, you know, a month or two later, we came to an agreement, and I signed a contract. So... And so did you have to put together a book proposal like most people would, or because they kind of sought you out, you, you bypassed all of that? Um, there was still a proposal put in place. Uh, I think they wanted to look at some of my images and just 
generally look at my background. And part of that, I, I believe Timber Press was originally looking at working with the Wildflower Center. And um, it was my understanding that they did not want to do anything with this book or take that project on. And that's how I got involved since I had just left the Wildflower Center. Somebody there said, well, well, there's somebody, you know, that used to work here who takes lots of photos and knows a lot about plants. So maybe that person will do it. And there you go. All right. Well, that's probably one of the easiest ways to to get a book deal. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. Uh, the research side of it was uh, a lot more intense. Uh, part of that is the number of species that are new to Texas since Corellan Johnson was written back in the 70s, early 70s. And name changes and uh, new species found, all that sort of good stuff. So, yeah, it was kind of interesting to put together this whole thing. Yeah. So I guess, I mean, talk about that drawing board, how how when you're obviously you're putting together the proposal and putting this whole thing together in your head. Um, what steps did you kind of outline um, and how did you come up with, you know, your plant list? You said you had a ton more that didn't make the cut. but um, I guess outline that a little bit. Well, Timber Press had sort of set this, you know, 1150 to 1200 or, you know, roughly 1200 species for the book or taxa, I should say. And I had, before I, I signed a contract or anything, I had gone through the bulk of my images and just kind of made a, a list of how many plants that I had already photographed uh, that I wanted to include in the book. And that was somewhere around 500. And I, after that, I had talked to a couple of friends of mine that were photographers and plant people from East Texas mainly. And they were willing to donate their images and kind of knowing about how many they had. It's like, yeah, we could, we could put this together. Now um, I had decided that since there was already a book on cactus, uh, several books actually, and I didn't want to use any cacti in the book because there are books that cover all of the Texas cactus. So I didn't okay. want to have like 25 or 30 cacti in, in the book. So, so those were out. Um, of course, the grasses, sedges and rushes, those were out. Uh, ferns, those were out. Um, and again, the, there are books out there that cover every single taxa in Texas. So there was no point in just trying to include a few. Right. And then it came to the wildflowers. I had decided not to use any true woody trees or shrubs. So, you know, like your oaks and your pine trees and all that sort of good stuff that was out. And so basically, um, I had decided I was going to concentrate primarily on the herbaceous flowering plants. However, uh, once I got into it, uh, there were some other plants, the sort of semi-woody plants, the subshrubs. Uh, I decided to include those as well because those were, you know, those are things that you don't really, if they were, if you had a subshrub and then a herbaceous wild, uh, flowering plant right next to it, you know, most people wouldn't know. They would just say, these are just wildflowers. And so that's why I decided to, to include those as well and left it at that. So that's kind of how all of that came together. Um, I had a friend, uh, Nathan Carroll, who had given me 
um, extensive species list. Um, we have a database with all the plants in Texas. And so he was able to extract out information for me. And so, so I was able to go through and tease all this information out and then sit, put like, okay, here's, uh, this group of plants, this list, here's the next group of plants, this list. So eventually I was able to have a list and I can't remember how many species. It was probably around 1600 of either photos that I had, photos that were donated, photos that I wanted to get. And that's kind of how that started. And then over time there were, there were plants that I either never could photograph or the photographs didn't come out that well. Um, and so those kind of eventually just fell off that list. And eventually, you know, I was closing in on 1200 species. I think it was 1170. And at that point we, um, or I decided it's like, this is it. I'm just going to turn it in now. There's, I'm not going to add anymore. <laughs> and then of course, you know, after I turned it in, um, you know, you go out and you start photographing some more plants. Like, oh, great. I just got three more today. So. Right. You started in 2014 and you're organizing your photos. And then like your second year, you're, you're starting the writing. Um, how, you have pretty detailed, you know, plant descriptions uh, for each plant. How, you know, what resources did you use to, you know, come up with some of this? I'm sure you, you know, obviously did your own writing um, and research uh for each plant as you're seeing them, but um, did you have any resources that you also pulled in? Uh, the primary resource or reference that I used was Corellin Johnson's Manual of the Vascular Plants of Texas. Um, it's out of print now. It's the large three to four inch wide uh, red book that you might find floating around in some used bookstore somewhere. Uh, but again, that was written in, I believe, 1970. So, you know, there obviously there were name changes and species were split up or joined back together or what have you. And whenever I came across that, I usually fell back on uh, the floor of North America. Mm -hmm. And if not that, then I would look at other floras, uh, floor of Arizona, floor of California, um, Virginia, was another one that I used and there were a handful of field guides that I used as well in, in writing this, but primarily it was the uh, manual of vascular plants of Texas. So you had most of these photographs, but you're driving around Texas or getting them from other people. Uh, I'm sure you put up a lot of mileage on your car. Did you, uh, I mean, were there periods of time where you're just constantly taking photos like in spring, summer? Um, how are you having to schedule that? Well, the first, roughly the first year was primarily just getting everything organized. Uh, and that's kind of where I lost a bit of time because I was thinking, oh, well, I'll, I'll have enough time later on to, to write, to do this and go get more photos. And then as it, everything started coming together, uh, I had realized like, oh, well, I'm going to be a couple of hundred species short. And it was during that time when I really got on the road and started uh, photographing. And so that would have been in 2016. Um, I, I, would, I would always carry my cameras with me and always photograph, but it would be kind of a side thing. Like, oh, since I'm going to El Paso or Dallas or Austin, 
I'll photograph along the way or, you know, stop somewhere and take some photographs. Um, or if I did a survey or something along those lines, I would, you know, try to pick up a few species here and there. But then it reached the point to where, um, like I said, there was, there was definitely a, a shortage of images and, um, that was primarily spring. And I would just basically leave Alpine and drive to Central Texas and then drive to East Texas and spend three or four days in East Texas photographing and come back through and then, you know, maybe go down to South Texas or a trip through the hill country, whatever it may be, uh, and just try to find as many species as possible uh, while I was out. So, and just start building those up. And some of, some of these were, you know, some of the original images that I thought that would be okay for the book just didn't cut it. Either they were too small or slightly out of focus or something, something was, you know, amiss with that image. And so I'd have to go back and re-photograph those plants. Okay. And I think probably, you know, if you're in East or Central Texas, you probably had access to a lot of public lands, but out in West Texas, we know that's, that's a land of a lot of private property. Um, how did you manage access uh, and to find some of these plants? I'm sure you have plenty of good uh, contacts with people though. Right. And through, through my work with the wildflower center and I remained in contact with many landowners. Um, so they were, they allowed me to come out and photograph. Now that said, um, all of the plants in the book can be found on public lands and that includes, uh, roadside right-of-ways. So some of them may be kind of rare, but they are on public lands of some sort. Okay. Uh, in some cases, uh, there was a property owner down in Mexico, uh, Northern Mexico, and I spent some time down there photographing and actually got in just a few days, uh, probably about 30 or 40 species because they were so much more common down there than they are in Texas, or at least easier to access down there than they are in Texas. Um, so that was a big help being, you know, being able to get down into Mexico and take those photographs. Right. Right. Um, now I, I, read a couple interviews that you did and you said you came across a couple interesting plant discoveries. Do you want to talk about those? Um, which ones? <laughs> um, well, first I, the water lily, I guess we'll start with that one. And then whichever other ones you might want to mention. Uh, well, the water lily was kind of, it's, it's an interesting story and it's something that you, that really just never happens at all. Um, I had been in, East Texas photographing some aquatic plants uh, outside of Houston in that area. And one of the ones I had photographed was the, the, the Nymphaea odorata, the white water lily. And when I drove back home, I was going through my images and, you know, that, and I will say this. So the fun part obviously is going out and hiking around and, you know, taking photographs and finding new plants and doing all that sort of good stuff. Um, and then having to force yourself to sit down and write, right? And do the research is like okay. So this is not the not so fun part, but it can be very interesting and educational because as I start doing research, then I begin to find out information that I did not know. And as I sat down to start writing about the water lilies, and this was a Monday evening, um, 
I had come across uh, an historic record for Nymphaea ampla, which is a water lily that's common in Mexico, the Caribbean, and it's also found in Florida. So I had seen this. I was like, well, that's interesting. I've actually seen this plant in Mexico. I didn't know that it occurred in Texas. So did a bit of research and it was down in outside of Brackettville in Kenny County and Fort Clark and a little bit more research. And you start reading and it's like, you know, there's more documentation of it being down there. But of course, this was over a hundred years ago. Huh. Um, so I called a couple of friends to see if anybody wanted to help me go look for a water lily down in Brackettville. And um, one, one of my friends, Martin Simonton, who actually contributed uh, one of the images in the book, he, uh, he's like, Oh, hold on. Well, he had some work to do. It's like, let's, let's go later in the week. So we drive down there and I had made contact with some landowners and some people that were uh, residents of Brackettville and they showed us around Fort Clark, but it, became pretty evident that we were not going to find that plant in the Creek that comes out of Fort Clark Springs, uh, the Las Maritas Creek. And that was the first day slash evening that we got there. So the next day uh, we got up and decided, well, we're here. Let's just drive around and see what we can find. And uh, four or five hours into it, uh, a little bit after one thirty, we came across it and wow. it's pretty amazing. <laughs> so the, that's something, you know, reading about it and then just deciding to, you know, take a drive and go look for it and then finding it. That's pretty uncommon. I would say that that rarely happens to me, right. but the most interesting thing on that, I think outside the water lily is about five minutes later, we found a population of Heteranthera mexicana, which is the uh, Mexican mud plantain. And it's a plant that I had been looking for, for, or keeping an eye out for well over a decade, trying to find this guy. And there it was. And as soon as I saw it, I knew exactly what it was. The flowers are unmistakable. The color is unmistakable. Uh, The habitat is you know, was right. It grows in shallow ephemeral pools. And uh, I think uh, at least as far as the research at the time when I was doing that, that was the first time that it had ever been photographed, or at least I should say, I've never seen it in print and I have not seen it on the internet at this point. Wow. Those are pretty amazing finds. (laughs) Yeah. All in one day. So that that was a lot of fun. Um, there were other ones, uh, there were some range extension extensions that we came across while out. Um, a lot of those were, you know, cacti species or woody plants that were not going to be in the book. Um, but we did come across, um, the, it's one of the yellow rain lilies, a Zephyranthes pulchella. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that was in Kenny County, um, Clasping leaf cone flower, that rutabecchia, I think it's changed to. Um, that was another one. And then some other interesting things came out, like there's uh, Hunmania fumarifolia, which was recently recorded in uh, Big Bend National Park. Um, however, I had photographed that in Mexico. Hmm. Uh, but there's, you know, as you as you get out and you find things and you're photographing 
and more and more more people are out doing the same thing, you start to see like, well, we used to think that these plants were only found, you know, this county north. And then now you can see that other people are finding it further and further north. And that's, I think, at this point, I think it's just more people are out with more cameras and cell phones taking photographs and have that interest. And they begin to see these plants. Um, and with things like uh, Facebook and Instagram and iNaturalist, you know, there's more and more folks out there interested in what what's out there. So you can post these images and then there are people that can easily tell you what they are. Right. Yeah. I was going to ask if you thought it was, you know, a climate change or a just more people being out and about. Um, You know, it's one thing when, you know, you've got a couple of scientists trying to be the only people scouting and looking for plants versus, you know, hundreds of people with their photos, with their cameras out there. So I was wondering. I I think it's just more and more people are out uh, doing this sort of thing. Uh, there was a, an orchid that I found, I think it was in 2006 up in the Davis mountains. And from what I have been told and my understanding is whenever I found it back then, that was the first record of this plant. Uh, and it's Dichromanthus cinnabarensis, the scarlet lady, ladies tresses. Hmm. That was the first record of that plant that far north in Jeff Davis County, uh, in the Davis mountains. And I, I think it was also kind of a big deal because it was where I found it was adjacent to the nature conservancy property last year. Um, I had 12 people contact me, various people that had found that plant either when they were out hiking on the Davis mountain preserve, which is the nature conservancy property or, private landowners that had land adjacent to the nature conservancy property. Hmm. Interesting. So that just seems kind of odd. And some of these plants, you know, it's, you may not see them for, for years and maybe even decades. And then if you have the well-timed rains, the, all the weather, all that sort of stuff comes together um, that allows those plants to, go ahead and decide, Hey, well, now's a good time to flower. And so I think last year was that year for that, that specific, that orchid. Right. Well, that's exciting. Uh, yeah. (laughs) Um, in regards to the book, I mean, do you have anything like with the writing process? I mean, did everything you said, it kind of took a little bit longer, um, than you anticipated. Um, but would you have done anything different if you had to go back and redo it? Probably just start earlier. <laughs> uh, that would be, yeah, probably the best advice would be to start earlier, at least start the writing process earlier. And I had uh, a thought that, oh, well, I can write, you know, three to four descriptions within an hour. But when certain things came up, there were certain hiccups like, oh, well, there's really not any information on this plant or the description of that certain plant that I'd photographed was, you know, the, the names had changed or that that species had split up into several different uh, subspecies or something along those lines. It You had to do a bit more research. And um, I was also trying to include information on the etymology of the name of the plant or who discovered it first or where it was first found in Texas, um, you know, some interesting little 
tidbit of information uh, right. instead of just the, the description of the plant. And so sometimes I would go down rabbit holes that would, you know, take me an hour to get to the end. So, <laughs> right. Um, so that was, that was part of the issue. Um, but as far as setting it up, I, I think that, you know, starting off with that list of, of, of images that I had and since timber press had to approve all the images, I didn't want to get too far ahead of myself and start writing the, the descriptions before I knew that the images would be approved. And that's, right. that was one of the ways I ended up with uh, sort of a, an additional 80 or so descriptions was because I just had that list and I started working through that list and writing the descriptions. And on some of those, like there were, there were plants that I had yet to even photograph. Uh, and then I decided, well, I'm just going to, write the descriptions of the ones that are approved at this point and then just build on top of that. Right. So did you have to send in pictures as you were like a certain deadline every few months to get approved? How did that work? Um, I would send them in batches. So um, in the beginning, it was a very large batch, batch of about 400 species. And then, then they said, oh, could you maybe scale that down a little bit? <laughs> uh, so then it came in, I would, you know, submit about a hundred or so at a time. And um, then towards the end, it was more of like every week or every two weeks. Like, okay. Here's another 25 or 30 species. You know, which ones of these are going to be good. And towards the end, it was, there really wasn't going to be a question because um, I, in the past it was, it was primarily more of a casual photographer when it came to this, it was, there was really no plan to use these photographs for publication. It was just for my own self and identification purposes. Um, and then as it came out that I, Oh yeah, you're going to have to use these for publication. Then yeah. You know, tripods were carried. Um, yeah. Solar screens were used uh, and just, you know, instead of taking one or two images of a plant flower or leaves or what have you, you had to really take my time and, and make sure that it everything that I could account for would be accounted for when taking that photograph. Uh, the biggest issue obviously was, you know, dealing with wind. Um, and so that, you know, would cause just a slight blur and most of the images that were rejected. Right. Right. Now, did you do the line drawings as well on the inside and the flaps? Um, no, those were done uh, by Timber Press. Okay. Okay. Um, I want to deviate from the book for a second and go back to um, your previous work uh, with the Millennium Seed Bank and the other seed bank, your project work you're working on. Can you talk about those a little bit? Because I think people, I mean, are familiar a little bit with that, but what was your um, involvement in those seed banks? Um, well, the Millennium Seed Bank project, I was sort of at the right place in the right time. Uh, the right place was working at the Wildflower Center, and the right time was um, I just started working there sort of part-time uh, as a temporary employee. And um, there was a presentation by somebody that had worked or worked for the Seed Bank project in the U.K., and they were basically there just, you know, doing their outreach program. And I had found out that the Wildflower Center had just received some money, some grant funding to uh, hire a full-time position. 
And so I tracked down Flo Oxley, who ended up becoming my supervisor. She was the director of conservation at the Wildflower Center. And uh, in about a week after that, I started full time. So um, that was a fairly amazing project. It was, I think, probably the first statewide plant conservation project that we had. And of course, this was a global project. Right. We weren't the only folks working on it. But it started off just collecting seeds in Central Texas on the Edwards Plateau in the Blackland Prairie. And we were, um, during that time, we were supposed to collect somewhere around 600, so roughly 10% of our flora uh, by the end of 2010, or the end of 29, rather, beginning of 2010. And uh, I'd worked on that for about a year. And then the following year, we decided that we would um, branch out into the various ecoregions of Texas and then each season kind of bring on a new partner. Um, We'd go do presentations and recruit volunteers and then do training. Um, And through that, we worked with uh, like Mercer Botanic Garden in Houston, Mm -hmm. um, Solroth State University out here in West Texas, uh, various nonprofit organizations throughout the state and, you know, numerous, numerous volunteers as well. So by the end of that project, um, which was pretty amazing, actually, I mean, I was essentially traveling around the state over 200 days a year, wow. working with volunteers, collecting seeds and learning the flora of Texas. So I, it, couldn't have been any better for me, quite honestly. Right. <laughs> Hands-on classroom for sure. Exactly. And, you know, just forcing yourself to learn the plants. Uh, you, I mean, you had to, and, and that was just, just part of it. It wasn't like, Oh, we're just going out and collecting the, the most common plants. We were, we were out, you know, looking for sedges and rushes and grasses and um, anything that, that we could, we could collect and that could be banked. So right. that was, that was really quite nice. And working with private landowners who gave us access to their property, um, state agencies where we had access to, to various state properties, um, federal agencies as well. And of course uh, there were a handful of um, sort of uh, county local parks that we would collect from. Right. How did you have to prepare the seeds or did someone else uh, handle that? Well, uh, so the seed collection was primarily just all about timing, uh, making sure that you're you're collecting at the natural dispersal of the seed. Um, and at that point, the seeds are going to be mature. Um, and if you are collecting uh, orthodox seed, which is basically all that really means is Orthodox, just as far as the seed terminology goes, it just, it just means that seed that can be stored for, for many, many years, decades. Right. Versus recalcitrant seeds, which, uh, typically germinate the first year. So acorns, things like that, mm-hmm. uh, we could not collect, but, uh, we would collect and then, um, yeah, if we did a good job there in the beginning, they were somewhat clean when we brought them in, but then we would have volunteers that we would work with typically on the weekends that would come in and, and some of our seed cleaning parties, uh, we would have, you know, 50 plus volunteers there clean, you know, hand cleaning 
each batch of seeds that came through. Wow. Um, eventually, once we got down to almost pure seed, uh, we would use um, oh, an aspirator that would blow away you know, all the extra chaff and duff that, that made its way to that, that batch of seed. And by the end of that, it was essentially pure seed. And from that point, uh, we would package those up. And a few times a year, we would ship that off to the UK, to the Millennium Seed Bank in Ardingly. And uh, we would keep half of it for ourselves. And there you go. Wow. <laughs> so, Interesting. Yeah, and- yeah it, was a, it was a large project. I mean, being able to organize that many volunteers to come in, you know, once a month to just really sit down and clean seeds for four to six hours. And that's all we did. Right. Yeah. That's, that's the unfun part probably. Oh, no, it was good because uh, you got to to really know the volunteers and, you know, sit there and chat with them for, for quite a while. So that's true. True. Um, Now you, you're still doing another seed uh, collection project too, right? Um, Yes, that's um, ongoing. That's, that's part of, well, let me take a step back with, after I left working for the wildflower center, i I've still been collecting seeds um, okay. wherever I travel. Uh, well, within the state of Texas, uh, anytime I come across anything, it's it's sort of a, a bad habit that you can't really get rid of. <laughs> and so you decide, oh, I'll just collect this because somebody wants it. So I've always, or since I've left, I've I've always collected seed, and I'll give that to uh, Sean Watson up at the Wildflower Center or. Uh, various nurseries, um, native plant nurseries like uh, Far South in Austin or Madrone Nursery down in San Marcos. Uh, some of those seeds were given here to Sol Ross. And I just try to give them to whoever I think would would appreciate them or, or use them. Um, and again, most of these are sort of just small collections of a few hundred seed of roadside plants or, you know, plants off private property, things like that. Right. Um so I've always been, well, ever since leaving the Wildflower Center, that's always been something I had, had done. Uh, about two years ago, I started working with the uh, San Antonio Botanical Gardens. And that is with primarily the Center for Seed or Center for Plant Conservation, rather. And what we're focusing on are rare plants. Okay. Uh, and so those rare plants, we have 13 uh, that's under San Antonio's charge. However, uh, that doesn't mean there's just 13 rare plants in South Texas. Um, within the borders of Texas, there's about 450 roughly rare plants. This right. includes uh, endangered species and threatened species, but then you have this huge amount of plants that have really no protection. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're focusing on. These 13 plants, um, basically, you know, from San Antonio South all the way down to, to Cameron County. And so we, that's another thing that we're doing. We just collect the seed. Uh, we take that back, we bank it, uh, do the same thing that we did with, uh, the common plants with the millennium seed bank, but just on a much smaller scale. Um, and since I'm out, you know, if I do come across other plants um, that are, again, if the seed is ready to be collected, I'll typically go ahead and collect some and then pass that along to the growers as well. Okay. Now, 
are, is anybody growing these seeds out? I mean, other than, you know, the growers or nurseries and that sort of thing, but, um, you know, at the Botanic Garden, is anybody growing them out or are they just strictly preservation? Um, For the most part, it's it's for conservation. That said, we do have live plants in our collection, as does the Wildflower Center and Mercer Botanic Garden. Uh, They're both members of the uh, Center for Plant Conservation. Um, We have... Um, I, I'm not going to remember off the top of my head how many of our species we have living examples of in our gardens. Um, not all, actually, not all of them are planted in the garden. Some of them are kept in a greenhouse, uh, but those are those are there primarily for educational uses. And we do collect seed on those, but you cannot uh, you can use that seed for research, but you really can't use it for reintroduction unless you know exactly where the original population came from. Right. So that's what we're dealing with on those. Okay. Um, well, wow. All of that is extremely fascinating. And um, it sounds like you have a very interesting career. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, now, do you have any favorite region that you like to uh, go plant hunting? Um, well, they're all good. I, I do tend to like the more arid regions of Texas. Uh, so out here in the Chihuahuan desert, it's always a lot of fun, especially if we have a good monsoon season, like we're having right now, because then you tend to have things pop up that, you know, um, really expect sometimes, um, you know, just, and these aren't necessarily rare plants. They're just like, oh, well, I haven't seen that five years. So right. Um, and South Texas is pretty amazing just because of the, the uh, diversity that they have down there. And the, there's so many plants um, that, you know, that is their northernmost range in the United States. Right. And there's just kind of some bizarre things going on down there um, and some interesting soil types, which lead to interesting plants as well. So, Right. Both of those. But, you know, then, of course, there's some wonderful canyons in the Edwards Plateau. And um, I always enjoy kind of getting into those swampy, boggy areas of of East Texas. And then, you know, again, if there are good rains, the sand dunes up in the Midland Odessa area are pretty incredible. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just. Really, I guess if you go there at the wrong time of the year, it's probably not that interesting. But if right. you show up after a, a nice rain event, it's it's pretty incredible. Right. And how about any particular species or plant family that's kind of your favorite? Um. Well, and not jumping on the monarch bandwagon, but the uh, Ascomatheus and the Metelias. Those are always a lot of fun. There's some that I haven't seen yet. I just found two this year that I'd never seen before. Uh, sadly, they had both already flowered. Um, I think I missed one of them by about a week. Uh, that was down in Big Bend National Park. Um, some of the other ones that there's a couple of sedums. Uh, well, actually just one left that I would like to find in flower in Big Bend National Park, that sedum Havardii. And there's another one that I've seen uh, in cultivation, but I've never seen it in the wild. And that's sedum, and I'm not going to remember the name, nanofolium, I believe. It's a yellow-flowered sedum, and that occurs out here as well. Okay. Um, 
But probably one of my, I guess, I don't want to say favorite plants, but one that is probably one of the most interesting ones to me is the proboscideas, the devil's claw. Oh, okay. Um, We have five species here in Texas. One, two, three, four. Yeah, five species, uh, two um, subspecies or varieties as well. But uh, most of those are found out here in West Texas. The the common one, the uh, the Louisiana Devil Claw, the common Devil's Claw, uh, that's found throughout Central Texas and South as well. Uh, but it's just interesting fruit, beautiful flowers, um, ethnobotanic uses, and very interesting seed di- distribution on them. So awesome. I do enjoy those. Yeah. Um, now, do you have any upcoming presentations or places that if people are in Texas, they could come see you give a talk about the book or, I mean, if you give any other presentations on on plants uh, that may be coming up in October, November, December? Um, well, we have in, it's in October, the Master Naturalist of Texas Symposium in Georgetown. And I believe that's in mid-October. I'll be giving a presentation there. And that presentation is uh, one of my longer ones. It's about an hour and a half. It sort of covers the uh, the writing of the book, um, interesting plants. I also talk about seed dispersal, pollination biology, and some other oddball stuff that you know I came across that I think other people would find interesting. And then in December, I'll be giving a presentation at the uh, San Antonio Botanical Gardens. And that will be on uh, the rare plants, the CPC plants okay. that we have there. Um, but it typically is going to slow down until next spring. And then I've got a handful of present or workshops actually I'm going to do in San Antonio. And I haven't confirmed anything yet, but there's a handful of presentations I'll be doing in the spring as well. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Sounds like you have a good full schedule. So. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be good. More driving. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I noticed um, in our in our conversations trying to connect that y- you are bouncing around quite a lot. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, just a little bit. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess if you're going to wrap up, maybe talk about do you have any places that you're online at? You said you had a couple of Facebook pages that you manage or, or that you like to share. Um, yeah, currently it's of. Uh, there is a Texas flora organization page and there's a Texas flora group page. And the group page was started after I left the wildflower center in order really just to keep in contact with volunteers and to keep that plant activity up with some of these folks. And uh, over time that's kind of morphed into more of a, uh, an online way for people to either just share information about plants or have their unknowns ID'd by members of that group. Uh, the organization page is something where I tend to write uh, lengthy descriptions of plants, uh, interesting things I come across. And uh, the reason why I have the two is the, the group page is much more dynamic um, as people are adding you know, 10 or 12 or 15 posts a day or something like that. Whereas the organization page is more static and it just kind of holds that, that most recent posting there at the top. Okay. So those would be the two. Um, that's about it. 
don't okay. really do Instagram or Flickr. So. Right, right. Okay. And I mean, I know you can get your book on Amazon, but is there anywhere else that you might want to share where people can find your book? Uh, mm, it's hopefully it's being, it's being carried at some of the local bookstores. Um, I would, you know, it'd probably be best to support uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife and maybe purchase the book at one of their gift shops if they're still carrying it. Um, I know that several folks ran out um, towards the end of summer. Um, we are uh, currently in discussion to do the reprint. So that oh, should be good. coming out uh, probably sometime next year, depending on how, how quickly that happens. I'm not sure how long it'll happen, but um, yeah, they're um, reaching the point of sales or timber press has reached the point of sales to where uh, they're looking at doing the next printing of the books. So. Oh, that's awesome. That's good news. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you, think, do you think you have another book in you? Um, there's a couple of ideas that I've been working on. And at this point, it's mainly just gaining more, more photographs to see what I have. Um, I would really like to do one for just West Texas, uh, okay. the Chihuahua Desert region, a field guide and keep it again, uh, around that same number of plants, about 1200 or so. Okay. Um, the other one, the other two, I guess that I've been sort of slotting images to different folders. Uh, one would just be the Fabiaceae of Texas. So the P family. Ooh, I like that. Um, yeah. I think that would be useful to about eight people. <laughs> um, the other one will be, uh, a trees and shrubs book. So I'm going to go that way. Well, I like the Trees and Shubs book because right now we have to piece together different regions. So I wouldn't mind right. a big compendium. So, yeah, it would be nice to be able to, to you know, gather about a thousand photographs of, of the Trees and Shrubs. And so having those, you know, two books with roughly 2,200 uh, taxa and then add in the cactus book and a couple of grass books and a <laughs> book and we're kind of closing in on all of the plants you can find in Texas. So you're going to be busy for the next 10 years. <laughs> Hopefully we'll see what happens. So. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. The book is gorgeous and I found it very useful so far for myself and I'm sure other people will too. So. Oh, thanks. I, I will say that I'm, I was very happy when I, when I received my first copy um, timber press did an amazing job with the layout, uh, the font selection, uh, the images, the cropping, all of that. It was, uh, they did an excellent job. Yeah. So, and I should yeah, definitely like in the editing process, that person uh, just does not get the recognition because there was, that was nine months of uh, going back and forth. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, editors, the editors there at Timber Press, the photo editors, the text editors, it, it was just pretty amazing to work with them. So. All right. Well, thank you again. And um, it was nice chatting with you. Good talking to you. Thanks. <laughs>